Blog Talk Radio. <laughs> Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host. We also have co-hosts Dr. Tim Hayes and Michelle Pichet. We will share with you the wisdom of the first century Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We offer tools and support five days a week. We will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love, in Aramaic, Rachna. Michael is the author of the book, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information about the forgiveness process, please visit www.whyagain.org. And now, welcome to the show, Mindshifters Radio. Hello and welcome to Mind Shifters Radio. I'm Tim Hayes. I'm your host for the first hour. And today is Wednesday, August 2nd, 2023. As always, we're grateful to everyone who's joining us here today, whether you're listening live or through the archives, as we spend another couple of hours teaching and supporting people in using some of the most powerful, effective, efficient, and accessible tools I've ever encountered These tools are available absolutely free through the tireless efforts of Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice on the website at whyagain.org. If you go to that website and click on the two words that say start here in the upper left-hand corner, it will take you to a page where you can download and read Chapter 24 of Dr. Michael Rice's book. His book is titled, Why Is This Happening to Me Again?, And that chapter of the book contains a narrative description and explanation of the primary tool in this work. That tool is called the Reality Management Worksheet, sometimes called the Reality Management Wake-Up Sheet. And it's a tool I've been using to great effect for 19 years now to improve the quality of my life and most of my relationships and to turn any negative emotional experience I have into part of the infallible guidance system that each and every one of us has been given. You can also download the actual worksheet process itself. It's a simple PDF file. Click the link, download it, print it off, copy it as often as you'd like, and use it over and over again absolutely free. You can also go to your app store and type in the three words, Heartland Aramaic Forgiveness. And if you choose to do that, before you're done typing the word forgiveness, you'll see the glowing heart icon. If you tap on that, it will let you download a completely free and private app that contains the Reality Management Worksheet. It contains an abbreviated version of that worksheet process. And it contains a copy of the Dragon Klingon game, which is a wonderful way to introduce these tools to even younger audiences. And we hope people do all of that soon and often, primarily because it tends to improve the quality of people's lives the more they actively apply these tools in their lives. And secondarily, because it tends to prompt comments, questions, answers, and testimonials. If you have any of those to share with us, we would appreciate you doing so by giving us a call at 563-999-3581. Once you call that number, if you press 1 on your phone, it will put the little icon of a hand by your phone number. And I'll turn on the microphone and... 
announce it by your area code and we can have a conversation. Alternatively, you can send us an email. You can email me at tjh at mindshifters-academy.org or you can email Jeannie at J-E-A-N-I-E at whyagain.org. That's W-H-Y-A-G-A-I-N dot O-R-G. And if we get a comment or a question through email, we will address it on the show and then, as time allows, send you a notification about what day and time it was addressed so you can listen to the archives for your feedback. And we are greatly appreciative anytime anybody chooses to do that because it makes it far easier for us to live into our intention with this work. The intention we have with this work is to be a service, and that is far easier to do when we know how things are landing for you. On um, on Monday, I reviewed, I think, a total of six, maybe seven worksheets that I had done in that morning related to the interpretation I threw on some life events. And once I had put that a negative interpretation on those life events, it set up a resonant frequency. It stirred up energies in me related to my past, related to dynamics involving those thoughts and the emotions that I generate with those thoughts. And so it prompted me to pull out the tool that I know is so effective for that, which is the Reality Management Worksheet. And what I chose to do very early Monday morning was use the app, which I mentioned earlier, that you can get for either uh, Android or Apple phones, and um, in filling out those blanks and setting goals for uh, the future, I ended up doing a whole series of worksheets, and then at the end of it, on the last worksheet, I was prompted to set a, a goal to do some targeted journaling, what Dr. Michael Rice calls the mind shifter tool. And so I did about an hour, a little over an hour's writing yesterday morning and then shared that on the show yesterday. And in sharing that on the show yesterday, I felt some shift in the energy and I had a a lighter mood um, throughout the day yesterday. Um, And then we had our support group last night. And in the support group last night, these are Tuesdays and Thursday nights, are available absolutely free. We had um, five people plus myself, and we listened to some Michael Singer conversation, and then we had um, discussion about that. And I was feeling uh, even more kind of integrated with the work I had done throughout the day by the time we were done with the support group last night. Then I went to bed last night, woke up this morning, and I was feeling more of a need to start doing some more processing. So I have the uh, worksheet process and I have the journaling process. I reviewed what I had read and and I had strong emotions come up at a different part of the worksheet or the uh, journaling than what came up yesterday when I was um, 
reading it on the Internet show. And so I did some more processing, and I discovered that I have more uh, journaling and worksheets to do around a set of issues related to feeling abandoned and abandoned by who? Well, one of them was it went back to feeling abandoned by my father because he was not able to discuss or process grief. My assumption about that, and since he's no longer alive, I can't validate this with him, but the uh, my assumption is that he was unable to face and process grief because he didn't have anybody teach him how to do that and he was faced with such a powerful loss in his life when he was six years old and his father died that he probably assumed the grief he felt was too much and if he turned to face it or let himself feel it he'd never recover from it so i was left to deal with grief on my own And then there was another connection through another worksheet and release process that made me connect with feeling abandoned by the church at age seven. Now, age seven is about the time that you go through a first communion experience in the Catholic church that I was raised in. And there's all of this uh, talk about an intellectual approach to if you pray hard enough, if your heart is pure enough, if you love enough, if you give yourself to the church, etc., or to Jesus or God, then everything's going to work out just fine. And it was probably about that age where I was coming to the realization that what I thought it meant for things to work out just fine was not happening. And so I felt abandoned by the church at that age and their teachings. And then the other set of releases I did this morning had to do with, as I read about in the journaling I did yesterday, when I was young, three, four, five years old, and then on up, if I was around somebody that was in an anger, a fear, a grief emotion, it would feel excruciatingly painful for me. And if I couldn't get away from them, I would turn myself inside out and upside down trying to take away their pain or make them happy or comfort them or whatever. This, at age five, was a serious conundrum for me because I left this lovely, loving, safe home that I was in, and I went to kindergarten for the first time. I went to school outside the home, and I was in this room with all these kids who did not come from loving homes, who were in all kinds of pain and turmoil, and it was excruciatingly painful for me to be in kindergarten. So I did a set of releases around that. And then there was the the thought about being abandoned, but there was also this fear about having to be around people who were in emotional pain because I couldn't I couldn't get out of it. I couldn't get away from it. 
So I did a release on fear, and I did a release on disappointment, and I did a release on thoughts that I'm being abandoned, and the anger that was coming up when I thought I had been abandoned. And as I sit here now, I am feeling more calm and centered than I have in a number of days. And it's specifically from doing these worksheets, an occasional round of EFT tapping, uh, two different hours now of journaling. And so that's my offering. We have uh, about 45 minutes to discuss this, any part of it, if, if it's raising questions for you or you would like a clarification on any of the six, at least six different worksheets I presented on Monday or the journaling that I wrote and then presented yesterday, give us a call. Let us know how this is landing for you. 563-999-3581. Call that number, press 1 on your phone, and we can have a conversation. We can talk about anything I just mentioned or anything that's come up in the past uh, 12 and a half years of doing this Internet radio show. So area code 224, you're in the air. Who do we have? If you're speaking, area code 224, I can't hear you. Maybe your mute's on. Maybe you accidentally pressed one on your phone. I'll invite you to try again, and I'm turning off the microphone, so if if you did have something and you wanted to talk, press 1 twice on your phone, area code 224, and we'll try it again. In lieu of that, we have plenty of time for a comment, a question, an answer, a testimonial. Area code 224, you're in the air. Or maybe not. Can you hear me? I just heard a click. And then you dropped. All right. So 563-999-3581. If you call that number and press 1, maybe the technology will let us talk. It, it didn't work so well for area code 224. So... How can we support you? How is this uh, holding up for you? What's the direction you would like to see us move? We can go back to reading from area code 224 is trying this again. Can you hear me, area code 224? Can you hear me? Yes. Who do we have? All right. Hi, Dr. Dr. Hayes, it is Brett. All right, Brett. How can we support you today? Well, I'm a bit nervous calling in, but I was thinking maybe a worksheet or just some help walking through um, my feelings. I don't know, actually. Well, 
Now, well, the best way to, to, to work with your feelings that I know of, at, at least especially in this work, if you're not face-to-face with somebody, is the worksheet process. So how familiar are you with that? Very. All right. So do you want to step through a worksheet process, or do you want us to just frame out some worksheets that you can do off it, the air? What's your preference? Um. I'd like to do it with someone, with if, if that's okay. All right. So I have one in front of me that I can use as a template. Or I could pull up on the app that do you, do you use it on the app or do you use it on a printed format more often? Um, the, the app, lately more the app. All right, so give me a moment to pull it up, the app up, and um, we'll get started. Have, is this a, a worksheet you've done before? Is there? A, do you have clarity about what the uh, triggering event is for you? Um, I don't really have any. Um... Okay, so hold on a minute, and I'm pulling up the app, and it's got the current seven-step wake-up sheet. Right. And and if um, one of two things you can do, try and pull it up on your phone. I don't know if it's the same phone you're talking on, or you can just let me prompt you, and then I'll type it in here, and then if we're lucky, it'll let me save it and email it to you. All right. So what would you say your emotional upset level is to begin this worksheet? Uh, I would say a 10. So you've got a 10 and... Say again? Yeah, 10. So I brought home love. What's the emotion you're aware of feeling? I'm scared. All right, so fear, and are you breathing? Yeah. Doesn't sound very good. Take a nice, deep, full set of air in your lungs, hold it for a count of two or three, and then slow the exhale down. See what you can do to just move a little past some of this anxiety or fear. The worksheet then says, hostility and fear are from internal corrupt data. And they indicate my use of sustained incoherence, which means I I do something that doesn't make sense. It doesn't hold together coherently. And then I just keep doing it, thinking maybe if I keep doing this, it'll get better. But I'm using sustained incoherence to build this disturbing internal construct. My process of denial causes my carbon-based memory to displace my experience of myself as my true essence, which is love. And it tells me the lie that my emotions are caused by my trigger. My story, my reality is that what is your trigger, what is your story or reality about how someone or something outside of you is causing your upset? Um. And you don't have to use names or true names. You could just say, you know, Make a made-up name or 
my boss or my ex or whatever, you don't have to give details that would identify this person in the future as long as you know what it's about. My ex? And um. my ex is doing what or refusing to do what, etc. Just a brief summary so you'll remember, looking back on it, what this particular worksheet was about. I'm trying to think of it that what a video like what a video recorder would pick up instead of what my head's got going on. Um I guess it would be refused to talk to me. All right, so we'll just put that in the worksheet refused to talk to me. And then the truth is, if I breathe and soften, which it sounds like would be a really good thing for you to do right now to let some of that emotional energy move through you rather than hold it in. And we remember that if they're the one with the problem, how is it I'm the one with the pain? And then step 1D says, the truth is only my thoughts cause my emotional upset. So I'm going to breathe and I'm going to soften and I'm going to specify the thought I'm using to create fear in this worksheet. What thought are you using to create fear when you think your ex refuses to talk to you? Breathe and soften. Say again. Because I'm broken? Okay. Now, notice what happens with your energy when you say that. So, because I'm broken might be a thought that generates sadness or anger, but it probably won't generate fear based on how you're sounding when you say it. So what thought are you using to generate the fear in this worksheet? That's a 10 out of 10. So you might have a thought like, you know, my ex- okay, so I'm going to be alone. I'm going to be abandoned. I'm going to be unable yeah. to function without her. What? Which of those would you want to put in there? Abandoned? All right. So that we'll, we'll put in the thought, I'm going to be abandoned and unable to function. Does that fit? Yeah. So breathe and soften. I'm going to be abandoned and unable to function. I'm just typing that in the worksheet. And then step 1E says, what's your punishment thought? What's the punishment thought you have for your ex? Abandon her. All right. So to cut her out or abandon her. And what's a punishment thought for yourself? 
if you're aware of one. And just to think that I'm not worthy, I guess. Okay. Negative talk. All right, so I'm not worthy. There's your there's your punishment thought. It's a good one a lot of us have. Okay, so then the worksheet in the app says, I, Brett, I release and surrender myself. I surrender my emotion of fear. I surrender the target here, which is my ex. I surrender the dynamic in my mind that she's refusing to talk to me. I surrender the thought that I'm going to be abandoned and unable to function. I surrender my punishment thought for her of abandoning her, my punishment thought for myself that I am not worthy. And I cancel my need to be right. And I cancel my need to make up another story out of these brain cells to hallucinate the proof that my fear and my hostility-based story and my reality is true. And then hit next on the app and takes you to a place where you're asked to breathe and soften and choose to honor truth and to be willing to face and process out all of the disease-producing energies for and from all your relations and your generations and be willing to go through the physical, the mental, and the emotional symptoms of healing. And if you breathe and put a check mark in each of those boxes and then hit next, it takes you to step three. And in step three, it asks, what's the constructive result, the exact goal that's driving your pained perception and the fear in this worksheet? What would it be that if your ex did this thing or these things, you wouldn't have fear, you wouldn't have the thought that you're going to be abandoned and can't function, and there'd be no need to pick up a worksheet? I want my ex to do what? Talk to me. And what? Consider my so I'm going to suggest, well, say that again, I was talking. Consider my feelings. Okay. So I'm going to suggest that you say, talk to me, consider my feelings, and stay in relationship with me. Now, the reason I say that is because you use the word abandoned. And the only way to, you know, for your mind to solve the problem of being abandoned is if somebody stays in relationship with you. Then you're not abandoned. Then you're together, right? Yeah. So I'm writing as your goal. I want my ex to talk to me, consider my feelings, and stay in relationship with me. Make sense? Yes. Because if she did those things, then there would be no need for this worksheet. Talk to me. Consider my feelings.
and stay in a relationship with me. And then when you hit the next button, it asks you to reconnect to this energy of love, which is your essence, because when you do that, it stirs the love in everyone involved. There's the remembrance of the rose and the butterfly story. And what I ask people to do in step four is put their hand over their heart space and think about some of the most loving memories they have from their recent or distant past. So in this case, we'd be shifting you away from the energy of fear in your heart space, in your emotions, and toward the energy of love. So if you'll breathe and soften and let your mind bring up some of the most loving, safe, happy, connected memories you have, whether it's the recent or distant past, and breathe into that until you actually feel a change in your heart space. And let me know when you felt that shift, and we'll move on. I got it. Okay. So when you hit next on the app, it says take a nice deep breath and let it all go slowly and then think about how any time I'm upset, my perception is built out of corrupt data. And the thing that drives my mind to use that particular data in this goal is my goal for my ex to talk to me, consider my feelings, and stay in a relationship with me. This is a limited and limiting picture constructed from a max of nine bits of data while 10,000 brain cells are firing. By canceling that part of my mind that can only do the same thing over and over and over again, by canceling its reality, it starts to collapse and gives me direct contact with the denied and dissociated parts of my carbon-based memory. Carbon-based memory is simply like a hard drive on a computer. It can only record what's poured into it and spit it back out when it's called up. That part of my mind is always projecting and blaming others for its content because that's how it's been programmed. So while holding love, conscious, active, and present, I now choose to collapse that process and my mind's lies by willingly canceling my goal for my ex to talk to me, to consider my feelings, and stay in relationship with me. So breathe and soften and put check marks in those boxes and read that. And then the next step asks you to ask for help for, from something other than your conscious logical mind. They suggest you can use the ancient Aramaic word for the Holy Spirit, which is Ruka Dakucha, but you can say light, you can say love, you could say life. What do you want to invite outside of your conscious logical mind to invite you toward healing or to assist you in healing? Love. So you invite love to, and then it asks you to specify by checking these boxes, to incline you toward healing, to restore your awareness to your newborn essence of love, to heal your denial that you're the one who's actually creating this upset, and to heal your capacity to generate fear, and to help you open a direct conscious relationship with and 
gently remove all of the denied, the dissociated, and the projected parts of your mind, of the carbon-based memory. And you put check marks in those boxes and take a breath. And then we like to have people do another little meditation. Put your hand over your heart space, breathe and soften, and silently inside your own mind say what I'm going to say out loud. I cancel my need to be right. Keep your breath moving. I cancel my need for anyone or anything to change, including myself. Keep the breath moving. I specifically cancel my goal in this worksheet for my ex to talk to me, consider my feelings, and stay in a relationship with me. I put my conscious logical mind on the shelf right now, and I ask to be shown the hidden part of my own mind that's actually creating this upset. And then I just want to breathe and soften and trust that anything that comes into my mind, whether it's from the recent or distant past, is going to be part of what I need to see to begin to heal here and move forward. It's all old stuff. It can't hurt me any more than it already has. And recognizing that allows me to study it up close as it washes over me. So just gently breathe, soften, and gently say, I cancel my need to be right. I cancel my need for anyone or anything to change, including myself. I put my conscious logical mind on the shelf for now, and I ask to be shown the hidden part of my own mind that's actually creating this upset. And then just notice, if a memory comes up from an earlier time in your life, just notice how old are you, where are you, who else is there and what's happening? Breathe into it. Let the details come up. Study them up close. Keep your breath moving. And stay with it until you feel an insight, until you feel your energy shift or fade, or until you realize that you're just going to sit and spin and go nowhere. Perhaps your mind has gone blank, or you just keep having the same pattern of thought over and over again and when one of those three things happens take a nice deep cleansing breath let it all go and scan your body and notice what's the strongest emotion and or the strongest physical sensation you're aware of right now What do you get? What do you notice? What are you feeling? Um, fear. Still pretty strong. Okay, fear is still pretty strong. And did you have any associated thoughts from the recent or distant past that came up when you did that release? No. Okay, so what happened when you were doing that release? Did you go blank? Uh, Did you focus on a specific recurring thought? What happened? Yeah. I, um, I couldn't relax enough. I was trying to think of something, and I noticed that, so it just kept spinning. All right. So... 
when you say trying to think of something, I'm writing the words here. On step 6A, it says, I now feel, and I wrote fear. And then 6B, it says, about the situation listed in this, I feel, and I'm just writing the words spinning. And then you, you, you said, I'm, I was trying to think of something. And that is the opposite of the instructions. Right? So I'm writing here, I was trying to think of something. And so what we know is some part of me did not want to do what this worksheet asks me to do. Right? So it's okay. It's just a... There's resistance in me to doing that, so I could also put in the word resistance in that box in 6B. And then I might do a worksheet where it's a worksheet on how I am in resistance to doing the release in a worksheet, to seeing what might come up. And then in 6C it says, I ask to be shown a time when I have not fulfilled this goal that I'm holding for my ex, that maybe I haven't been willing to talk to somebody and consider their feelings and stay in a relationship with them even when they wanted it. And if you're willing to do that, I usually put in here... If a time comes up, I make a note of it. If nothing comes right to mind, I just write in here, yes, I am willing to see this. And I'm throwing that open to love, light, consciousness to show me if I've done that in the recent or distant past or if I start doing it in the future. Does that make sense? Yeah, yes. So take a nice deep breath and let it all go slowly, and we hit next, and it takes us to step seven. In step seven, it says, a principle of the universe is that by giving, I first get the original. So I'm going to be grateful for this opportunity to heal. I'm going to choose truth and perfect love, and I'm going to formulate a goal for my ex, which is going to be a loving goal towards myself and or my ex, based on this goal that I had in this worksheet and what I what I came up with if I had an insight or the fact that I went blank. So I would recommend that you do a worksheet on the resistance. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So the emotion would still be fear because that's the emotion you ended with on this worksheet, right? So worksheet on fear and resistance to seeing a new perspective. or just something new. And that's what I'm writing here in that box. A worksheet on fear and resistance to seeing something new. 
And then the worksheet says, I commit to love, to living a human life, and in order to do that, I'm going to be willing to do a mass canceling of all the times in my life where I've ever wanted anybody to talk to me and consider my feelings and stay in a relationship with me. And you can put the initials of anybody that comes to mind in that space in the in the app on the worksheet and or you can put your own initials there as a validation that you're willing to do this verbal mass canceling of all the times in your life you've ever wanted somebody anybody to talk to you to consider your feelings and stay in a relationship with you does that make sense complete yeah. And that might flash back to times from grade school or high school or 10 years ago or 5 years ago or whatever. So now take a breath and slowly let it go and scan your body and notice what would you say your upset level is right now? Five. All right, so you went from a 10 to a 5, and then it asks if you think that's worth um, labeling as a successful wake-up sheet. And then if I you would hit agree next, with that. Yep. And then if you hit next, it should give you a, an opportunity to send that wake-up sheet to yourself. All right. Comments, questions? Um I like that worksheet cuz the last part makes sense that I still have the resistance to to allowing I don't know myself see things or to feel and have fear fear is about that like making up another story instead of allowing it to be what it is well and so you know, the, the the thing that we observe in this work that is so helpful for so many people is that we're trained in a way to talk about how we're afraid of the unknown. And that training really just helps us stay locked in to negativity. But the truth is we can't be afraid of the unknown unless we're projecting something negative onto the unknown. So when you do a worksheet on your fear or the fear of seeing something new, keep that in mind that what you're looking to do with the worksheet is you're asking to be shown and get more clear about 
what is it that you're projecting into that something new? Make sense? Yeah. So the worksheet that you just agreed to do might be, I have the emotion of fear, I, Brett, who am love, am feeling the emotion of fear. And what's happening is you simply say, I did a worksheet and I went blank. So instead of like on this worksheet, you said my ex is refusing to talk to me. In this next worksheet, it would be 1C, I did a worksheet and went blank. And then 1D would be what's the thought you're using to create your fear. My thought is I'm going to see something really bad. Or if I let myself have an insight from a worksheet, my life will fall apart. Something like that, right? And and you get to decide what that thought is. Does that make sense? Yeah. And then when you come down, you can specify if you have punishment thoughts. And then you come down to step three, you need to formulate the goal. And the goal in that next worksheet would be a goal for yourself related to doing a worksheet and drawing a blank or going unconscious, right? So what would the goal be that would remove the fear about doing the worksheets? The goal would be for yourself, and that would have to be something like My goal is for myself to be to feel strong and confident and willing to face what's what's new in my life or willing to learn something new about my life. So you keep the goal specifically related to the thought and the dynamic of doing a worksheet and going blank. Does that make sense? Yes, sir. Yes. Um, Are you feeling strong emotions come up around that? Yeah. Yeah. When you said um, that last bit, you said I I was filled with rage. Say that again. With that last bit, I said what? I was filled with rage. I wanted to scream. I want to know. So put that down. Right, I was just filled with rage. And that can be another worksheet. I, Brett, who am love, am filled with rage. What happened? Dr. Hayes said these words. What's the thought I'm using to create the rage? You can specify. You don't have to, have to tell us in the, in, in the, on the radio show now. And then you're off and running to yet another worksheet. Does that make sense? Yes. Yes, thank you very much. 
Well, you're entirely welcome and deserving. And remember, if you need clarification about this, the archives will be ready in about an hour and a half or an hour and 15 minutes. So you can go back and listen and, and make notes if you didn't get it all down. Anything else we can help you with? No, I think that's... No. Say again? Thank you. I said, no, that was very helpful. Thank you. All right. Well, blessings. Thank you for calling, as always, and good luck with that. Let us know if there's more support we can give you. Thank you. All right. I'll mute you so you can listen into the second hour if that's your desire. And we've got about 10 minutes left. If anybody has any comments or questions, thank you to Brett for being willing to do a worksheet and share with the uh, audience. And as I said, we've got about nine minutes left. Michael and Jeannie's um, second hour today will be recording because they both have other things going on. So we have time for a comment or question from somebody in our audience. 563-999-3581, or if someone's in the chat room, if you want to type in while we still have access to that, we can try to address your question on air or privately if that's your desire. The second hour today is going to be the fourth hour of the Why book. Apparently this is the reading or the audio file of the Why Is This Happening to Me Again book. The fourth hour. So let us know. How can we support you? comments or questions. And if no one has a comment or question, that's perfectly fine. We can end a few minutes early and start the second hour, which is the recording of the Why Why Is This Happening to Me Again book. And I believe it's just the audio file of the, the actor and Michael recording that book. So since nobody has a hand up, we'll assume that that's good enough for today. And um, we'll remind everyone that we come from love. We're made of this stuff we call love. We actually are love. And everything else is false. This is your second hour. Well, it's necessary to fight back and protect yourself. It is participation in that kind of thinking that is causing violence to become the norm in our culture, Richard. People tend to be so close to what they do, they cannot see their own insanity. Be assured that from within the society ruled by the volcano gods, Hmm. sacrificing young maiden now and then was not bizarre. Torturing and burning people at the stake was not strange from within the belief system of the inquisitors. It was a reasonable way to save souls. Reason, when not consciously governed, can justify anything it can conceive of, anything that it decides to do. We live in a world where murder, war, and violence are justified and condoned. Verbal, emotional, and physical abuses are considered standard in many relationships and family systems. Parents lash out at children. Teachers think it reasonable in the name of discipline to verbally abuse, attack, and put down the children they are supposedly teaching. 
A child who kills is no longer an uncommon phenomena. The media regularly portray little violences as acceptable. Family members at each other's throats, attacks, sarcasm, and put-downs are presented as witty, normal human interaction. Ever wonder why the divorce rate is so high? Healthy relationships are seldom represented or modeled anywhere in our world or media. Where have I been all my life? Uh, I, I never thought about how realities from previous generations of the media impact us. It never occurred to me that the world could be any different. I thought that's just the way it was. <laughs> I never conceived that my hostility supports and contributes to the dynamic violence in the world. Look around. You're not alone, Richard. These little violences rarely strike the sensibilities of anyone who's been trained to think of these forms of insult to human integrity as funny and even acceptable. From within the monumental violence of the way our world works, little violences are seen as meaningless. I believe they are the tributaries that join to produce the destructive river of violence so prevalent in our world culture. In my experience, the reason for the monumental violence in our culture is that many experience continuous violence from conception, violence in thought, word, action, and attitude. These are learned responses. Its harmful nature in the family has, to a great degree, been ignored, though it is the beginning point of all conflict, divorce, murder, and war. Children and adults are so confused as to what is reasonable, they often do not know when they're abusing others, being abused, or even abusing themselves. The end of this insanity on our planet begins when each of us acquires and uses the tools to heal the violence we do to ourselves and others. Peace is not an objective. It is a pathway to sanity and healing. Fear and violence have been with us for all of history, Michael. I want to live in peace as much as the next guy, but do you honestly think you can eliminate our world's insanities with these tools? Why, that sounds like an impossible dream. Do you believe fear? Is a natural thing for us as human beings? Mm. All right. I think we bought into a lie. I believe it is time for us to confront the lie and face ourselves. It's time to heal the structures that support mental, emotional, spiritual, verbal, and physical abuse, hostility and violence in every form. Within families, communities, and nations must come to an end if we humans are to survive, let alone live in peace taking responsibility and refusing the hostility fix each time the mind automatically offers it is one of the keys to healing and aliveness. The shocking belief held by many people is that peace is not possible, nor is it desirable, and that violence is not only natural but necessary. It is a mind unwilling to be responsible and deal with its hurts so it can heal that promotes such an insane and barbaric dogma. That peace is not possible is a rationalization for violence used by those who cannot or will not control their own thoughts, words, and actions. Even a child can see through the insanities promoted as necessary. Let's have the courage to recover our lives and do the unthinkable. Let's question everything. Hmm. Richard and I decided to stretch our legs by taking a walk to the lake. A brisk walk up the hill left us both puffing but refreshed by the clean Ozark air. When we returned from our walk, the focus of our discussion turned to resonance in the mind. I explained that the law of resonance is the law that governs all energy fields and is the law of energy exchange. Now, what's resonance? Well, imagine I hold up a middle C tuning fork and bring a second vibrating middle C tuning fork near it. What will happen? 
The first fork will vibrate. I remember that experiment from physics class in high school. What if I introduce a vibrating fork tuned to the F frequency? Nothing happens. The two forks are tuned to two different frequencies. Therefore, they will not resonate with one another. The fork tuned to F will register nothing. So if there's no resonance, there's no exchange of energy. Only when two fields are in tune or in harmony with each other is there exchange of energy between them. When they enter each other's sphere, the stronger field transfers some of its energy to the weaker field, which is strengthened. This is the same law that governs the function of the mind. What do you mean, governs the mind? Well, let's demonstrate. Don't think about the color of your car. What are you thinking about, Richard? <laughs> my, my blue car, resonance, I suppose. Couldn't be anything else. I could have decided to think about something else if I wanted to, though. Yes, but not without first deciding not to think about your car, which is thinking about your car. Uh, with my words, I set up an energy field. Imagine your mind is like a filing cabinet, and you have a file on cars. My words resonated that file in your mind in the same way that the tuning forks resonated and interchanged energy or information. Your mind was stimulated into thought, quote-unquote thought, about your car. This action is not thinking at all, but simple resonance. It is the law that governs every process in the mind. Words are a frequency put out by the human voice. Our words resonate all information of similar frequencies in the mind that hears them. I call this the file folder effect. Let me lay out that idea. All information that relates to any particular topic is stored in a file, so to speak, with all like information. When you fire one set of brain cells in a file, the firing brain cells set up an energy field that tends to cause all other brain cells in that same file to fire. In my workshops, I demonstrate the file folder effect by asking the audience to answer a question and, and shout out their answers loudly enough to be heard. I then ask, what's the Lone Ranger's horse's name? Throughout the audience, I usually hear Silver, which is the horse's name, Tonto, and Trigger. I can see the audience responding that way, Michael, but I don't understand what that has to do with resonance. Well, when I ask the horse's name, each mind's file on old westerns resonates as a result of the vibration set up by my voice. Every mind delivers its internal reality, which is dependent not on my words, but on what my words resonate in each person in the audience. The same words are heard by every person, but the reality triggered is totally dependent on the content of each mind, on what is stored in brain cells, and which answer is closest to the surface in the resonated file. The reality perceived always comes from the content of the listening mind, just like the meanings we give to life. The law of resonance says that some of the energy of my voice transfers to the listener's brain cells containing realities about silver. When the brain cells receive this energy, they fire and set up an internal vibration in that file. Every other brain cell in that file is then energized and tends to fire, hence Tonto and Trigger become possible answers, an expression of the file folder effect. If in our file on old westerns, Tonto or Trigger is closer to the surface than silver, then that's our answer, even though it's not directly related to the question. Some actually call this automatic response mechanism thinking. <laughs> I suspect we would be amazed if we knew how many people's entire lives were governed by this process, governed and limited by the body's mind, a mind that has, in the ancient teachings, been called the mind of Adam. So the file folder effect is not thinking. 
It is only information firing in brain cells. It is information cycling in the body's mind in response to input, either words, images, symbols, impulses, or sensations. Richard seemed intrigued with his concept and leaned toward me as he spoke. Do you mean that anything that triggers the brain cells can be a catalyst to this file folder effect? Yes, and if we're run by that effect, we're run by the past. Recall that removing realities from a mind is called forgiveness and is the key to taking charge of your life. Developing the skill of managing the output of the mind makes one the operator of his or her own mind. Richard, have you ever done anything you regret? Unfortunately, more often than I care to admit. Why did you do that? Well, fear, I guess. Uh, I didn't know any better, or maybe anger. A number of reasons, I suppose. The only reason we ever do anything is because we have a reality in our minds that guides us to do that particular form of behavior. A young boy with limited realities in his mind, for example, might smash a valued antique. Is the child destructive? He simply does not have the realities in his mind to guide him in what we consider to be the proper handling of something fragile. You mean if he were told repeatedly as a result of not knowing how to handle something that he was bad and destructive, well, those words might build up a reality in his mind. My, my God, that reality might actually drive him for his whole life. If the child did not have access to the tool of forgiveness and undo that reality, chances are he would be destructive for his whole life, buying into the belief that he was born bad. Of course, there's no such thing as a bad child, but many bad children are the product of parents in a culture who don't know any better nor understand their role in structuring the realities in a child's mind. The world would change overnight if the media comprehended and took responsibility for the realities they pump into children and the goals they present to innocent minds. This explains a lot of the violence and crime in our world. There is a saying that goes something like, uh, it takes a community to raise a child. It sounds to me like every interaction with the whole community has an influence in building each child's reality. This is an awesome responsibility. Yeah, it sure is. The power an individual or the media have in the way they present or model behavior can make the difference between shifting an internal reality from fantasy, a non-behavior driving reality, to one that gets acted out, a behavior driving reality. I believe that media, news, and public personalities have a tremendous influence and a great deal of responsibility for what is happening, especially for the realities our young people are accepting and acting out. I used to think that parents who guarded carefully what their children did and with whom their children had contact were overprotective. Perhaps they understood the potential contribution the community makes in building their child's reality structure. This explains a lot about why children who have had no contact with a healthy community, be it in school or in a neighborhood, get into trouble. I'm going to do something about delivering what I've learned here today to children, to schools, to parents and teachers. Why, Michael, this is wonderful. Well, we'll be delighted to support your effort in any way we can, Richard. Many people who study this work become teachers of it. We invite anyone who feels it is their purpose to teach these tools to do so and to assist us in fulfilling our family's commitment of making these tools available to every mind on the planet. Now, let's take a look at the next phase in understanding the file folder effect. Words can be used to trigger files and realities and kind of hook them together, so to speak. How long does it take to key realities together so they fire in concert with each other? Well, Richard, 
don't think about a purple alligator. <laughs> Silly example, but if I see you in a week, a month, or a year and say, don't think about a purple, <laughs> with what will your mind fill in the blank? Why, alligator, of course, but I probably won't even remember that a year from now. That may be true, but it illustrates the point. One of the things that puts an event into long-term memory is emotion. Repetition will drive the energy even deeper into the mind. Let's look at an all-too-typical example. Imagine, over the first decade or two of life, a young boy is taught, through being yelled at and punished, the conflicting thoughts that sex is dirty and he should save it for the one he loves. Considering the file folder effect, what results would you expect to see from those links in a mind? How do you suppose his relationships will go when he reaches adulthood? And that sounds like fertile ground for insanity. You got it. Until he can forgive the conflicting realities in his mind, anything that resonates sexuality will trigger sex is dirty, save it for the one you love. Mm. The resultant flow of realities will probably leave him in conflict because hooked into those files whenever they're resonated are desire, guilt, conflict, and punishment. Do you see why negativity and punishment come into a marriage and violence results? Many people try to stay in control so they can live happily ever after, which is another thought key to relationship. All this adds up to more and more confusion. Each of the main realities in these files is highly emotionally charged and key thing is and linked together. What chance do you suppose that person has of having a good marriage? What do you suppose the resulting reality flow will be in the spouse's mind considering the file folder effect? I suspect it will be fairly crazy like I've been in my marriages. Precisely. Confusion will be the result. Suppose we get two people in a marriage, each with similar realities, and they continuously resonate these kinds of brain cells in each other. <laughs> you mean like my marriages? Bedlam. Why, it's insane. Divorce, pain, hatred, <laughs> revenge. It's like being at war. Richard wept in grief and rage. I sat quietly and held the space of love as he processed through profound emotion. I admired his courage in facing these buried issues. I thought about how so many of us have to be up against the wall before we're willing to confront ourselves. I suspect that this is because we've been trained to numb our pain to the point where it takes a major crisis to break through our drug state and get our attention. I reassured him it was safe to feel what was coming up and that facing these issues was how healing would happen. Richard expressed his relief and confided that he had not felt emotion so deeply since he was a child. His face took on a radiance as some of the sorrow it had reflected earlier ebbed away. We extended our example as we wondered what a couple living in the woods would go through in adjusting to each other. Richard shared, yeah, From my experience with intimate relationships, difficult. I suggested that we look at the same couple in the middle of New York City, dealing with each other and the complexities of their interactions. Now compound all of that by adding the file folder effect, which is exaggerated by the stimulation of a metropolis. In the city, their senses are bombarded by movies, television, masses of people, magazines, newspapers, billboards, advertising in stores, taxi cabs, buses. These media continuously impale each spouse's mind with both subliminal and overt messages of fear, guilt, sex, violence, hatred, drug and alcohol abuse. If their minds contain highly charged emotional realities connected to any of these issues and they're continuously being resonated into activity, how sane can they be? Is it any wonder people turn to drugs and alcohol to cope? This is overwhelming, Michael. 
You're describing my life and the life of almost everyone I know. I'm feeling like this is so big we could never change it. That sounds like the world's brainwashing that says you're powerless over what's happening. You're only one person. Why don't you just give up and go along with the program? Richard, I invite you to consider that you need only do your own work and you have as much power as any human being who has ever lived. You are capable of breaking through and making changes both within and without. The first step in convincing people change is impossible is to persuade them that pain is normal and it's not. Due to the file folder effect, once pain is accepted in a mind, it can be hooked up to any reality in that mind through the use of words and images. And any image that pain hooks into, it distorts. The more powerful the medium delivering the message, the greater is its potential for distorting the mind's output. Richard, just as you must look inside yourself if you want to heal, I'm suggesting we must each look at how we, as human beings, have created the insanities in our world. I know it starts to look overwhelming as we dig into these issues, but overwhelm is just one stage in the healing process. These issues we've been speaking of are at the root of the abuse we do and the abuse we experience in our relationships, in our families, our communities, and in our whole world. They are the source of the confusion that leads people to acts of violence, divorce, hatred, vengeance, crime, and war. We must change these dynamics in ourselves if we're to thrive, which is what we're designed to do. No, you've lost me. I don't even know what you're talking about. How can you change the dynamics, these dynamics that are so deeply ingrained? Forgiveness. This tool of healing allows us to remove distorted realities from our minds. I'm talking about dealing with all the realities we've accepted that lead to confusion. So many people have bought into the sex is dirty, save it for the one you love, and other insane lines of thinking that relationship and family seem doomed in our culture. True forgiveness of all painful realities is where our healing lies. If we refuse to do our healing work, we can easily be manipulated and controlled by anyone who knows how to push our buttons and resonate unconsciousness. I'm referring, Richard, to having the basic skill of removing realities that do not serve us, and at the risk of sounding patronizing, the overwhelming feeling you have is exactly my point. We've resonated all the realities inside of you during our conversation today. Notice, it is a beautiful autumn day, and we're safe and secure on our deck in the Ozarks. We even have clean air to breathe. <laughs> the only difference between the beginning of our conversation and now is the realities that have been resonated in your mind. Notice that nothing has changed in the world. The only thing different is what has been stirred up in your mind. You're in overwhelm only because of that. It's an inside job. This is the beginning of some deep process which will probably continue for months to come. A little overwhelm can be expected. Okay, I accept that. But I don't understand why it's happening. Why all this confusion? Richard, the nature of thoughts is energy, and they follow the laws of energy. I suspect they have both wave and particle properties, much like light. If I shine a red, a blue, and a green light on a plain white surface, what will you see? I'll see a red, green, and blue light reflecting off the surface if you shine them one at a time. But if you shine them all at one spot, they'll be mixing the colors. Okay. Now, bear with me. There's a point to this. When the realities are resonated in a the mind, their properties are much like the light. 
if they surface one at a time, like the single light shining on a spot, there will be clarity in the thoughts behind that reality, and confusion will be impossible. However, if several conflicting realities try to surface simultaneously, like the three lights shining on the one spot, there will be a mix, a confusion in the thoughts that generate the conflicting realities. Richard, I've become aware of a few issues for myself to work out and heal from today's conversation. I'm sure we fired some realities for you to deal with in our interaction. Until you remove the conflicts and clarify your reality structure for yourself, confusion will tend to be the result of such a process. And of course, I have to do the same for me. Well, the file folder effect is taking its toll on me at this moment. If a conversation such as this one we are having stirs up this much feeling, what chance what chance does the average person have in life? Well, most people don't allow the space in their lives to look this deeply into themselves. They keep themselves drugged and on the run with no time to feel their feelings. If hidden feelings surface during dinner, hey, another scotch or a serving of a sugar-laden dessert will take care of keeping those feelings suppressed. If the drugs from the night before slow their waking process in the morning, ah, just jumpstart yourself with caffeine, nicotine, or sugar. This behavior is so prevalent and is not recognized for what it is. It's addiction and suppression. Busyness is another drug that is used in our culture to avoid looking at our issues. Let go of these drugs and layers of confusion will surface as you do your work and that is desirable. As conflicting realities surface and you forgive them, new levels of clarity and empowerment will come. Healing occurs if you deal with and release painful realities and let go of the burdens you suppress and keep hidden. Let go of the inclination to use your energy or drugs to avoid, numb out, and stuff what you don't want to see. You've got to release it. You resonate hope in me, Michael. It looks like a giant task, but the other way of living sure hasn't worked. Why not do it differently? Well, even though I, I, I've dug myself into a pit, I'm starting to see a way out. I'm grasping that the cause and the solution to the insanity that I've experienced is of my own making. I see a light at the end of the tunnel, and this time it's not an oncoming train. I think I can actually get a handle on this and what's happened. I might even be able to create a decent loving relationship with this understanding and, and with these tools. The goal of this work is to empower people to become conscious of everything in their lives. People who are not conscious operators of their own minds can be programmed by others to react with any reality in response to any situation. When it comes to deciding whether or not to do your work, Richard, what else is there to do? Once you see that your whole life flows from your inner dynamics, how else can you proceed but to commit yourself and move forward? Well, I could see myself sinking into oblivion, becoming a hermit in Wyoming. I could just quit. True, but that would say to me that you didn't really hear or develop enough brain cells to see that there is something you can do about your life and about the world. It's not unusual for me to hear from people who attended one of my workshops 10 or 15 years ago. They often tell me they thought I was nuts back then, but a phrase or an idea stuck with them. Then they saw examples of that idea often enough and things finally clicked they decided that they had to know more about the principles of this work. It's kind of like the parable of the sowing of the seeds. 
Even if one does not do his or her mind gardening, sooner or later these ideas take hold sufficiently to form sensible realities in a mind. This work is innate knowledge for people. I'm not teaching them anything they don't already know. It's just a matter of the inner truth breaking through the layers of insane realities that have been accepted in the mind. Once you clear up the twisted ideas and clean out the corrupted files, this work becomes natural. This information should be kindergarten stuff, conversations children have on the playground, yet it's all but missing from our culture. The absence of an understanding and experience of love is the reason it is so rare, I suspect. I went back to our discussion of love, I put forward the thought that one of the keys to the healing process is clarifying the idea of love, which has been ill-defined, misused, and distorted. Cleaning up its definition in our minds is an important piece of foundational work. Two thousand years ago, we were taught love was the most important law to human existence. It must come first if intelligence is to be maintained. Teaching love is not religious. It's the most practical thing in the world. One of the major pitfalls we humans have fallen into is that of making any teaching based on love sound like religion. Many people throw out teachings based on love or only give them lip service because they think those teachings are religion which they've been subtly taught to reject. Richard thought the ideas on love sounded good but wanted to know how to love someone who'd just been abusive to him. He said in an exasperated tone, Who could feel anything but anger and hate in that kind of situation? Well, to love, you must first straighten out your definition of the word. This may sound trite, Richard, but the people who can feel love when attacked know what love is and do not have realities called anger or hate in them. But uh, stay with me for just a minute. Remember, our goal is to let go of the old beliefs and manipulative teachings long enough to build some new brain cells. If when I'm finished, what I've said doesn't make sense, <laughs> throw it out and go back to the old way. Love, in Aramaic, does not mean cooperate with and help the person who's beating up on you. It does not mean accept every atrocity with a smile and pretend all is well when it is not. Love does not mean that you don't hold people accountable for their behavior. Love is not the passive state of suppressing your anger so you look like a saint. So it's okay to be angry with somebody that abuses you? I, I thought so. The reality in your head is giving you information not delivered by my words, Richard. It's okay to get angry with someone if you want your mind to be stupid while you interact with them. Well, uh, what is that supposed to mean? I, I, it sounds like you're playing games with me. I don't like it. Well, there's an old saying that the truth will set you free, but first it's going to bring up all your anger and rage, I said, <laughs> and kind of trying to lighten the energy a little. Richard, the word love in this culture is so distorted, its true meaning is almost lost. Most of the entertainment industry would have us believe love is sexual athletics and satiation. Others would have us believe it is self-denial and sacrifice. Still others would have us think we show love by receiving their abuses graciously. Think about it. Who has something to gain by our believing in these bizarre definitions of love? I'm not sure I know what you mean. Well, if I believe love is sexual athletics as portrayed on the screen, might I pay for more sick movies and demand more intense and bizarre sexuality in order to be satiated? Might I think what is played out in movies is normal and try to live up to the reality I've come to believe is true? Might I find myself wanting to participate in the outrageous habits for which much of the entertainment industry is famous? 
We need to recognize, Richard, that fulfilling outrageous fantasies will never satisfy us. It will only lead to even more bizarre behaviors. Until we do, we will continue to repeat those behaviors, wondering, is that all there is? And what's wrong with me? If we hold painful realities in our mind, it does not matter how many of the quote-unquote rewards based on an incorrect understanding of life we receive, happiness will still elude us. No matter how many possessions, how much money, sex, power, or fame we achieve, these things can never satisfy us because they're empty and false. Satiation masquerades as satisfaction, but when it's experienced, it can't deliver its tempting guarantee. I told Richard the story of the old man in his deathbed who was asked for the secret to happiness. The old man is said to have replied, For years and years I searched for what people told me would make me happy, and then I just decided to serve life and be happy without it. Happiness is a state of mind, a choice we make, not a result of possessing things or being in control of people or circumstances. People often use the sensation that comes from possessing things as a substitute for happiness, for relationship, and as a way of not dealing with their internalized pain. Real relationship is dead in the glamour industry's definition of love. Have you ever felt used as a sexual object and then thrown away? Anyone who buys into the common media definition of love becomes a sexual object in their own minds and in the minds of others, and of course, like other objects, they're thrown away after use. I've been on both sides of that scenario. I don't understand why it has to be that way. I, I would love to be in a true, honest, and real relationship. Perhaps that is impossible until I straighten out some of my conflicting realities. I think you're right. We tend to live exactly what we've learned. And if we've been used and abused, it takes work to live differently. Relationships are a wondrous place for nurturing, support, and healing if we can remove the confusing and conflicting realities we've hooked into them. My experience of people who reject or cannot form long-term relationships is they have so much pain in their relationship file, they have to keep on the move or they're going to have to face what's hidden inside of them. I've been on the run too long. Who promotes this insanity? Why is there so much of this confusion in the world? To answer that, notice who receives the benefits of the twisted understanding of love. Anyone who distorts truth to gain something for themselves is in so much pain and lives in such inward poverty that they cannot live honestly. They think they must manipulate to have anything for themselves, and even to survive. Have you ever noticed that the promoter of the idea that love is self-sacrifice always has their hand out, and those who feed on abusing others push the idea that love is the gracious acceptance of their abuse? Those who promote love as sex have a lot more sex objects of whom to take advantage, and those with the victim mentality get the benefit of playing out the role to which they're dedicated and addicted. I'm not quite keeping up with everything you're saying, but I get its importance. I suppose I have to clean up some of the clouds that I've allowed in my mind to accept and build more brain cells about what love really is before I will fully grasp it. However, you've gotten my attention again. I have a question that's been bothering me all my life, Michael. What is love? I don't know what it is. What? We're having this discussion about love and, and you can't even tell me what it is? I didn't say I don't have any ideas, Richard. I just hesitate to reduce such an important matter to words. Words are too small for such a topic. In Aramaic, it appears that love is what we are. It is the stuff of human existence. Without it, we are not human, but reduced to less than animal status. 
In the Aramaic scriptures, we're told that we are made in the image and likeness of the Creator and that the Creator is love. Do you remember when you were a child looking around at the way the world worked, knowing in your heart it was supposed to be about something other than what you were seeing, something other than the almost universal strife? Mm -hmm. Look into the eyes of a child. How many times on an energy level must that child be violated to cause him to hate? How much propaganda does it take to grow a child into a person who can kill, into a person who believes that the world is a fearsome place, that life is poverty, relationships hell, and sex dirty? What does it take for people to believe they're sinners condemned by a creator called love in whose image and likeness they're made? Why is it that there's such confusion in the world? For the answer, check out who benefits from programmed unconsciousness. I'm not sure this is what you mean, but I can think back to being a kid, watching the hypocrites fight and, and belittle each other, and I knew that this was not how we were supposed to behave. I kept coming back to my abusers with trust and total love and, and kept getting wiped out. Tears rolled down his face as the words escaped his lips. So you took on their behavior, Richard? What? No, I wouldn't do that. Are you sure? Well, I've never been abusive. I've never hit anybody. Not in my entire life. Have you ever withdrawn love, put down, or tried to control others for your own benefit? Have you used anger, money, or things to manipulate others into behaving the way you want it? Have you ever withheld love from yourself? Well, yes, but, but that's not abuse. Think back to being a kid that kept loving those that abused him. He only wanted one thing, to be loved. How did he feel when love was withheld and he was manipulated with money, threats, and put-downs? I asked that question quietly, aware that some very tender feelings were surfacing for Richard. I, I think, abused and alone. I sensed tears just under the surface, tears that have been held inside for a long time. It feels to me like there might be a lot of sadness, grief, and uncried tears wanting to let loose, Richard. I was taught it was wrong to cry. That is another reality with which we've been brainwashed. Macho doesn't work. If we cannot accurately feel our feelings, we're out of touch with an important guidance system. Recall, Richard, the operative principle here is if I'm in pain, I'm in error. The pain is an attempt on the part of the body to warn you of error and be of help. Notice you felt abused when all the things you normally do to people, yourself included, were done to you as a child. You mean I'm an abuser? I've never thought of myself that way. I always considered myself a nice guy. I, I thought... What I was doing was normal. Well, these are behaviors that few have escaped. It is an almost universal phenomenon, an opportunity for healing that virtually every one of us gets. Unfortunately, abuse and exploitation have become normal for many people, but that does not make it natural. Remember when, as a child, you knew life was about love and abuse was a foreign concept? I believe that abuse can be inherited, but usually it must be learned. A person stuck in the mindset of the world, whether teacher, parent, politician, or minister, through the denial of loving feelings and the use of abuse, helps to build many distorted realities into people's minds. The distorted realities are then used to control and exploit. This is done with our cooperation, and the realities we choose to identify with direct us to live in a way other than our natural inclination, which is to love. 
I can kind of remember when I, I knew I shouldn't treat people the way I do. Richard almost sounded like a child as he spoke. I always wanted to be loving to people, but I was hurt so often. I guess I hardened myself to the effects of my abrasive behaviors and my tendency to bully people. We explored the idea of abuse and came to the conclusion that abuse and withholding love are learned responses. It became apparent from our discussion that the reality structure in most people's minds, which is formed as a result of their distorted learning experiences, determines their behavior. Each distorted experience is a result of the combination of internal realities interacting with environmental influences. Behavior driving realities are those which have been observed to reduce conscious and unconscious stress in ourselves or in those we look up to, those who fit our mind's definition of success. Which realities become behavior driving often result from unconscious energy dynamics in which choice is not a part of the process. In Aramaic, blocking awareness of abusive behaviors, of love, and or of feelings was called hardening the heart. Each hardened heart is convinced that to act in accord with its distorted reality structure is normal. When we can't feel, we can be convinced to do all sorts of insane things to ourselves and to others and think it's normal. We observed from our own experience that a person with a hardened heart remains convinced his actions are right when he does them, even though he says others are insane when they do exactly the same things. Richard reiterated his understanding of what he called that intriguing attribute of the mind, blockage of truth. A mind in denial literally hides information from itself. It does not see that information contrary to what it believes. That seems to be how it works. If we hold an emotionally charged goal of being right, the mind hides all evidence that enables us to see the truth. The only thing available is error. Think about people who abuse but deny it. They reinterpret their behavior to justify it or blot the truth out of awareness so they can continue to think of themselves as right. The truth of the abuse they do is invisible to them. This is a condition that can be corrected only by love of truth. Have you ever, for no apparent reason, been abruptly thrown out of someone's life or perhaps thrown another out and wondered why? As a matter of fact, I was just thinking about a time when a seemingly close friendship ended over an inconsequential argument. She blamed me for something I knew nothing about, and there was no way to persuade her to think about it differently. I've often wondered why that happened, but I think you just explained it. I'm understanding it for the very first time. Her mind could only give her the evidence she needed to make me wrong rather than to accept responsibility. Blocking my input was her way to protect herself. Her heart was hardened against the truth. If you want to do an interesting experiment, show someone evidence of a truth they do not want to see. Unless they love truth deeply, they will, first of all, tell you that you're crazy or imagining things or they forget the event ever happened. Second, they'll leave, often physically, by making an excuse or mentally leaving by wandering off to other topics and not acknowledging the conversation you're attempting to have with them. Third response is they'll turn on you in some form of manipulation, usually anger, to stop you from presenting your information or accuse you of a similar defect, telling you about the time when you did the same thing as though that justifies their behavior and makes them right. The fourth 
and it's pretty heavy duty, is they'll attack you fiercely in a manner that's all out of proportion to the issue involved. You will wonder what hits you. Chances are you'll end up in unwelcome in that person's life. If you continue to present the evidence they are in denial about, be prepared to duck so you keep your head. There's so much insanity in our culture. I recognize that experiment and have been attacked for doing exactly what you described. But do you really believe that that many people are crazy? I'm talking about insanity, not craziness, Richard. In this work, an insane mind is defined as one that lacks the condition of love. A mind without love is a mind without real choices, therefore insane. In Aramaic thought, it was known that without love, humans were easy to take advantage of, weak and vulnerable. Love is a major key because it inoculates the mind against insane behavior. That is why it is called the first law. A lack of awareness of this law is a recipe for insanity. I'm lost again. This is starting to make sense, and then the sensible part seems to evade me. Well, Richard, that's kind of what happens when you're building brain cells. The realities that show up in your mind from newly developed brain cells are kind of fragile and easily distorted by conflicting realities from the past. That is why I ask people to investigate, think on these ideas for themselves, and not believe a word I'm saying. Oh, come on, Michael. Obviously, you're saying all of what you do so people believe it. Well, actually, Richard, no. I teach to build a new framework and tools with which to experience life differently. A thought system built on someone else's experience is just a belief system. It will tend to crumble and take senseless turns under pressure. For instance, you asked earlier about the definition for love. I don't have one, but I do know a way to experience it and what signals will tell you when love is present. What are the signals that tell you when love is present? Well, first, the mind that holds the condition of love in the ancient Aramaic perfect love is peaceful and patient in all circumstances. This mind takes responsibility for any disturbance it has and therefore heals itself quickly and creates a space of healing for others. Additional fruit of the mind of love includes tenderness, compassion, and gentleness. A mind that proclaims it punishes and brandishes fear in the name of love is either deceiving or it is a deceived mind. No such fruit is possible from love. That makes sense out of a lot of the senselessness I've seen. What did you mean when you said you had a way to experience love? Well, we could call this an experiential definition. Love is what you experience just after you use the process of true forgiveness. It is what is left when the mind's realities get out of the way. Now, if I tell you that and you believe it, we'll have another belief system in the world and another belief system to fight over and defend. When you have a personal experience, personally experienced, is there anything to fight over? Mm -hmm. <laughs> no. Only the insecure who don't know what love is have to force and fight over their BS, their <laughs> own belief systems. Only the insecure need to have everyone believe the way they do so that their beliefs will not be challenged. Richard, each of us was created in a state of love, and we deserve to experience that state 24 hours a day, seven days a week. If we're not experiencing it, something is out of place. When we withhold love from another, it is we who suffer from that withdrawal of love. It is we who experience the lack of love. Remember when you knew as a child about the way the world was supposed to operate? My function in the world is to deliver tools to people and point them toward the results possible with the use of the tools. 
My goal is to inspire you and others to use the tools and then arrive at your own conclusions about life. Of course, I think when the evidence is in, this work will prove itself correct, but the world does not need another belief system. It needs the experience of love. Love in Aramaic is a condition in the mind that each individual is responsible for maintaining. It is the fuel that empowers the human mind to function correctly. Without love, the mind is dysfunctional and we do insane things. Tell me, Richard, um, when are you most intelligent? When do you have the most flexibility, the widest range of choices, and the highest levels of creativity? Is it when you're angry, uh, afraid, or hostile? Obviously, most everything that I've ever done and regretted was done when I was in one of those states. Let me be clear on this. Are you saying that love is the key to intelligence? If intelligence means the ability to choose, absolutely. Notice when a choice is made in anger or upset, a lack of love, it is no choice at all. We are simply driven by resonance, by emotional realities from our past, driven to do things often against our own will and choice. This only happens in a mind that lacks love. This lack of love, which compromises intelligence, has led most of humanity to be shackled to religious and political systems that are based on fear. We need to understand how to forgive our fears, or, as said in the Aramaic scriptures, cast out the demon fear. If we do not, we will find ourselves unwittingly acting in support of that demon. A mind without the condition of love promotes and reinforces fear at every turn. No true spiritual teacher who understands how life and the mind operates uses fear to motivate. Now, I've seen fear motivate people to do the right things. In the short term, I agree. You can get people to do things out of fear. Have you noticed the long-term result is always a disaster, however? For instance, a parent forces a child with threats and abuse. The child obeys the parent out of fear, but in the end hates them and passes the force and abuse on to others. The reason is the tools used to produce a result will always produce a result like the tools. Children are, are learning sponges. They're believing creatures. What they live with, they learn, and then they live whatever it is they have learned. Why, this makes too much sense. Yes, and there is a peace when one achieves a practical understanding of tools that work and has the intellectual basis to reinforce that understanding. This work draws on all disciplines in order to build a solid foundation for the undoing of unconsciousness and for a life that is harmonious and peaceful. With its synthesis of different disciplines, it's a big chunk to bite off and chew. It takes patience and time to build the brain cells and integrate each of the disciplines upon which this work is built. That foundation is what makes these tools fully available. Some unconsciousness as you undo the patterns of the past and move into understanding and knowledge is to be expected. Allowing deeper issues to surface in the presence of love, it, it burns them off, so to speak. If you are willing to look into yourself, your family interactions, the dynamics of your culture, healing accelerates. An unwillingness to look deeper means that old patterns will tend to be passed on and played out by the next generation. Conscious, active, present love is the key to healing whatever needs to be healed. What is the best tool for really, truly getting a space of love within relationships with children, spouses, or myself and healing those generational patterns? When someone triggers a healing opportunity, the first thing to do is to be responsible for your mind's output. Breathe and forgive. 
Learn to hold the condition of love in your mind in all circumstances, regardless of what your mind prompts you to do. We call that love all-encompassing love. The tool, My Commitment, from our Healing Through Relationships workshop was developed to assist in creating that space of love. It's a powerful key to staying on track and keeping love in your mind when you feel turmoil. It's the best reminder I've found to get me back to a loving space when upset surfaces. Speak it at least daily in your closest relationships and say it out loud to yourself while you're looking in the mirror. Well, how does it go? I promise to trust you enough to tell you the truth and treat you lovingly, gently, and with respect. I will do this in my thoughts, words, and actions, whether in your presence or not. In every interaction, I will look for and acknowledge the highest and best in you as I surrender to love our true nature. My connection to my source and nurturing my relationship with you are always more important than any issue. If anything unlike love comes up, I will hold us in my heart and listen as I learn to speak, experience, and be responsible for my own realities and feelings. I am here for and with you. I will keep communication open and keep love conscious, active, and present as we celebrate life. Oh, that's beautiful. Richard and I reviewed some of his family dynamics, we processed several issues he had with his mother. I suggested that it might be valuable to consider that his mother probably came by her behavior, her off-the-mark patterns, the same way he did. He acknowledged that she very likely never saw what she did as abuse, but rather as a way to protect herself just as he had. Abuse is one behavior that tends to be transmitted from generation to generation. Facing and processing through the abusive patterns is the best way I know to stop the behavior from being passed on to our children. This work is about taking on the generations for the generations. What you don't deal with will be passed on. What you are willing to face, sort out, and heal will no longer infect family dynamics. The pattern then stops with you. Does that mean my daughter has the same issues I do? do you, you mean if I heal, she won't have to go and deal with them? It is very probable that she grew up reacting in some way to the same issues as you do. I'd be willing to bet that you have unintentionally treated her in a similar fashion to the way your mother treated you. Mm -hmm. As you heal the issues with your mother, not only will your relationship with her improve, most likely your relationship with your daughter will shift as well. Sometimes my daughter avoids me like the plague, and I've always wondered why. Now I think I know. She used to tell me I treated her poorly. But I never listened. I didn't see it that way. I guess my mom didn't either. Come to think of it, my mom used to brush me off the same way my daughter says that I do to her. It feels like a relief to know that I can do things differently and develop a more loving relationship with her. You know, I'm, I'm feeling pretty good. I think I might be feeling that empowerment feeling you were talking about earlier. For the first time in a long time, I'm feeling like I can do something about my life. Richard, my mind keeps going back to a thought I had when we were talking about the issues around your mother. Uh, would you be willing to take a look at that? I, what the heck? I feel pretty good, considering what I've been through today. If someone told me I could uncover and deal with events and issues 
of, of such proportions as I've come to today and, and get to the other side with a smile on my face, I'd have said that we're out of their minds. Well, recall that the key to process and healing is holding that space of love. Bringing these issues to the surface in another setting could lead to craziness. Is this the kind of thing that people do at your intensive workshops? That's the focus. In an intensive, we work to give the best tools and understanding possible. The rest is process, and it's like watching miracles happen when a number of people get together and do healing work. I know, Richard, that, um, that you wouldn't engage me in this conversation to avoid looking at the issue I asked about. Um, are you willing to look at that one? I'm willing. A trace of fear flashed across his face. Have you ever thought that living with you, Richard, might be like walking through a minefield? No, no, of course not. Uh, are you feeling defensive right now, Richard? Well, perhaps a little, wouldn't you be? Well, probably, yeah. <laughs> I want to be clear that the purpose of bringing things to the surface is to gently look, own them, and let go of what does not work. I'm on your team and want to support you in that process. Has anyone ever given you the feedback about that minefield before? Mm -hmm. Richard did admit that he'd been told more than once that living with him was like walking on eggshells. He again affirmed that he'd never thought of himself in that way. Seldom do we see ourselves as others see us, and most people never take the time to listen to what others are really saying. Truly taking the time to listen to others provides us with the opportunity to look differently at unconsciously driven behavior, as does being aware of our responses to what others say. I spoke about him making a practice of searching for his patterns of unconscious driven behavior. I reminded him of our opening conversation or, or our misconversation about responsibility. Recall, Richard, we each experienced the same actuality we each heard identical words, but your listening spoke to you of fault and blame, while mine informed me of responsibility. Remember the upset that surfaced for you and how much hostility you expressed? Well, actually, I didn't express nearly as much as I felt at the moment. Well, that's good. When upset surfaces, in this work, we call it an opportunity to forgive, an opportunity to learn to let go of the tendency to blame others for what they trigger in us. Most people tend to experience their mind's interpretation of an event in the world and think that that's what is actually happening. We tend to think ours is the only truth. Like ripples distort an image on the surface of a pond, there's always some distortion of the images output from the mind when we're in upset. The truth cannot be reflected accurately in a disturbed mind. If I'm clear on the bottom line of this work, it is that... At every moment, we are experiencing our own reality, correct? Yes. You're saying that our realities are made up of internal information and not caused by outside events. That's it. What, have, uh, what we've been trained to think of as the actual event in the world is really actually in our heads. And what happens in our heads distorted by the upsets and grievances we hold. The world repeatedly triggers the realities we hold on to and then we wonder, why is this happening to me again? Recall now that projection and externalization result in blaming our inner happenings on others. When in blame, the tendency is to think that the outside event is causing your experience, and it's not. Projection doesn't work to alleviate pain, because when you pretend the problem is outside, you leave the pain inside and cut yourself off from being able to resolve it. 
The reason running away does not work to put an end to your pain is that you take your painful realities with you wherever you go. Has moving ever done much to change the quality of your relationships? No, my guess avoidance is not an answer. We talked about the idea that anger does not work and is never justified. We also explored the stresses involved in holding anger in the body and the pain from the tensions of keeping falsehoods in place. We considered the possibility that as these patterns are passed on, they might contribute to what is now thought of as genetically inherited disease. Is it possible that family disease patterns can be changed, Michael? Absolutely. That is an issue we cover in the workshop, Empowered to Heal. My experience is that holding the space of conscious, active, present love while unresolved issues surface can shift any energy pattern. Richard was reaching new levels of clarity and enthusiasm in his process. Anyone who's done this work knows that the event that follows a new level of empowerment is often a healing crisis. It is at this point in the process that many people become filled with self-doubt about their ability to truly heal their pain. For some, the process seems too hard, others too complicated, for some too simple, and still others, the pain seems too deep. He looked forlorn as old feelings of hopelessness surfaced for healing. This sounds so hopeless. If all of my pain is inside of me, how can I ever hope to get away from it? Why are we not all taught as children that we create our own reality? How will I ever work this out in my own relationships? How can I ever... Oh, hold, hold on, Richard. Slow down. Remember, these feelings will pass. The surfacing of hopelessness is an opportunity to deal with that reality in your mind, an opportunity to learn forgiveness. You are at least learning these things now. Most people go through their entire lives without ever discovering what's going on, without ever having tools. Why we were not taught this as children? Oh, Benjamin Franklin made a statement that I think sums it up perfectly. You will observe with concern how long a useful truth may be known to exist before it is generally received and practiced upon. Richard, I've got some good news and some bad news. The reason for your distress is your new level of empowerment. Your pain signals the opportunity to be aware of patterns that do not work and heal them. That's the good news. Shouldn't my new level of empowerment make me feel better, Michael? Well, definitely. And notice you did feel better a little earlier, and now the next layer surfaces. Huh. The blocks that, to that empowerment being actualized in your life must be surfaced and healed. Everything unlike your empowerment must be forgiven. This is only possible when you've reached a higher level of vitality than your norm. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.